Well, this morning we are continuing in a series of messages that we've been calling God's Answers to Life, Life's Difficult Questions. And today we are thinking about how we can have confidence in crisis. I know we have some nature lovers in our congregation here, some bird watchers. If you notice some of the artwork in the lobby as you come in and how it changes throughout time, pictures of nature and great scenery. We've got some folks here that are really talented in that arena. But recently I read about a bird in East Tennessee known as the golden-winged warbler. I hope I said that right to you, for you aficionados. But these birds... Um, started doing something rather unusual after giving birth to their chicks. They started fleeing their nests. And discovery was made by accident when researchers were testing whether these warblers uh, who, lay, who weigh less than two nickels uh, could withstand the weight of one of those geolocators on their back. And so that was part of the research that they were doing. But what they stumbled upon was that these birds left their nests when a storm was fast approaching. With a big storm brewing, the birds took off from their breeding ground in the Cumberland Mountains of East Tennessee, where they just only arrived, and they took off for this unplanned migratory event. And all told, the warblers traveled 900 miles in five days to avoid these tornado-producing storms. Golden-winged warblers apparently knew in advance that a storm was coming. The birds left the scene well before the supercell storms blew in. And scientists believe that there's some kind of infrasound frequency that alerts them to the fact that storms are coming. They had something, they have something that we don't often have, a warning when a storm is coming right? And when it comes to thinking about the crisis in our life, sometimes we see them coming. Sometimes there are warning signs. But many times, crisis surprises us. It overwhelms us. We're shocked by it. We're overwhelmed in the moment, and we have to respond. I spent three days earlier this week in western Michigan, which was a treat to enjoy the last snow blast of the year in the month of April. Uh, I thought it was great. It was a new experience for me. Everybody up there was, you know, not thinking it was so great. Uh, But flying back um, on Wednesday, I flew back just one day after a Southwest Airline Boeing 737 plane had an emergency crash landing in Philadelphia. And I'm sure many of you have followed that story or um, saw on the news some of the details, but an engine exploded and the plane quickly lost altitude and had this violent decompression after shrapnel exploded through a window. And one of the passengers I, I read about helped at one point, this is amazing, at one point by placing his lower back up against the opening in the plane in an apparent effort to help with the compression. The man did this for 20 minutes. In the meantime, passengers were weeping and screaming for roughly 15, 20 minutes with their oxygen masks on. Mr. Tranchin, who was one of the passengers, said that he spent those precious minutes texting goodbyes to people who were important in his life. He said it's a wild experience. It's not a couple of minutes of freaking out and frantically saying goodbye. 
it's 25 minutes of sustained fear that this was the end. What do you say to your pregnant wife and your parents in your final moments? That's what I was trying to figure out. And of course, the pilots of the plane have been celebrated and heralded this past week. And Tammy Jo Schultz, who was the pilot, uh, has been applauded by passengers and by the media. But she released this statement trying to shrug off some of that praise. She said, we all feel we were simply doing our jobs. Our hearts are heavy. On behalf of the entire crew, we appreciate the outpouring of support from the public and our coworkers as we all reflect on one family's profound loss, the family who lost a loved one in the event. Timothy Borman was also on that plane. Timothy Borman is a pastor. He was on the plane with his wife, Amanda. They have three young daughters, ages six, four, and two, who were back home. And Amanda managed in that crisis to connect her phone to the plane's Wi-Fi, and they sent off one text, and it read this. Imagine getting this text. Pray. Plane blew an engine. We're going to try to land. Tell the girls we love them and that Jesus is with them always. Now I know we hear all this and we wonder, how on earth do people go through something like that? And then we ask ourselves the question, how would I go through something like that? Could I remember in that moment that Jesus loves me? Could I have the presence of mind and heart and spirit to tell the people close to me that Jesus will be with you always? Some people are trained for crisis, prepared for crisis. Some people seem to have the personality to operate really well in crisis. Other people seem not to be able to operate well in crisis. But we all have these crisis points in our lives. We all go through crisis at some point and I would feel very confident this morning to say that in all of our lives here this morning there is some area in which we are experiencing a certain level of crisis. And so today I want us to think about what the gospel has to say about how we can find confidence, we can live with confidence in crisis and in particular I want us to ask this big question and this is on your outline this morning where can we find the resources to handle a crisis differently right to go through this with the confidence that comes by being united to Christ what are those resources and to try and answer that question this morning I want us to actually look at a story from the Old Testament from the book of 2nd Chronicles which is um, a book that details a large part of the history of Israel during the time of kings, after King David and Solomon, where all, there was all this back and forth between a lot of bad kings and then a good king, and then a lot of bad kings that would lead the people away from God, and then a good king that would restore the people back to God and his laws. But in this story, we find King Jehoshaphat, one of the good kings of Israel who has loved and trusted God, who has done much to bring God's people back to him. And if you made the 40-day journey through 40 days of prayer with us earlier this year, you may remember that we actually spent one of those weeks on this story of Jehoshaphat, thinking about how we are to pray during a crisis. How do we pray when we are facing crisis? And this is the story that we looked at. And so I want to kind of recap that for us today 
But in the story, to kind of set the context, Jehoshaphat, after making all these changes to bring the people back to God into good standing with God, he finds himself about to be attacked by three different nations. Three armies surround him. And that's the scene that we find here this morning. I want to read you a bit of it. There'll be some on the screen this morning. But starting in verse 1, this is what the text says. It says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And so Jehoshaphat is met with this great problem, this immediate, intense crisis, and he brings the people together before God. And what often happens for us, I think, when we are met with that intense, immediate crisis is that we are faced with temptation right away. And that temptation that most of us deal with is about getting away as fast as possible, right? Fleeing. How can I run away from this as quickly as possible? And so if we're going to think differently about how we have confidence in crisis, the first step towards that is when it comes to us, don't leave. Don't leave. And I think it's a very real human temptation to want to flee. It is the fight or flight temptation that we all face when things get difficult. This is how it's always been. Remember after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, what happened? What did they do when they realized that they had sinned against God? They hid. They ran. They tried to flee from God. And what did God do? He had to come after them. He had to find them. And so whether it is a crisis in our lives that is completely independent of us, like a cancer diagnosis or a plane crash, those things have nothing to do with our choices, right? Or whether it is something that we've invited into our lives through poor choices or bad decisions. The first step in having confidence in a crisis is to not leave. And then to let God find you. To let God find you wherever you may be. And when you do that, when you let him find you, when you open yourself up to God, you let him come into your life, wherever you may be, don't leave, let him find you. And when he does find you, what do we do? We cry out. We complain, we sing, we pray. Whatever it is, we come before God and we cry out to him. If you spend time reading through the Old Testament in particular, uh, and, and especially the Psalms, you're going to see people, after pe- person after person, crying out to God in the midst of crisis. Look at this verse from Psalm 44. The psalmist writes, We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. 
And so the first step towards confidence in crisis is actually to stay, to not leave, to let God find you and to cry out to him. And from there then, we begin to respond. And the second step I want us to consider is that we can remember in that moment what God has done in the past. This is exactly what Jehoshaphat does. He has this huge problem on his hands, surrounded on every side, seemingly no answer to this problem. And so he comes before God and he brings the people before God. And look what he says in 2 Chronicles 20, starting in verse 6. He says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, this is the remembering part, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? God, remember your promises. Remember how you delivered us before. Remember Jehoshaphat is remembering history here and he's also remembering God's promises. He's remembering for himself, but as the leader, he's remembering in public for the people. God, remember what you have promised us. Remember what you have done. You have always delivered time and time again. You have always rescued. You have been faithful. So what about us? When we find ourselves in crisis, another temptation that comes along, not just to flee, but the other temptation we often deal with is the temptation to forget, to forget all that God has done in the past, to forget how he has saved us, how he has rescued us, how he has preserved and protected us in the past. And when we forget, we easily trick ourselves into thinking that up until this point, up until this problem, I've kind of taken care of myself, right? I've kind of figured out everything on my own. I've kind of found my way out of my own problems. I can kind of do this. Maybe I can take on this problem in this crisis also. But the problem is if we carry on thinking that way, right, we will soon realize, as I often do, that I can't fix my own problems, that they're too great, they're too big, the crisis is too all-consuming. And when I begin to realize that, what happens? All of my confidence just leaks away. I lose it because it's rooted in myself. And so as humans, we're tempted to flee when crisis comes and we're tempted to forget. We're tempted to forget the power of the gospel, right? That there is this reality of sin in our lives and sin in the world. And when we face that, we wanna flee, we wanna run the other direction, we don't wanna deal with it. And then we convince ourselves that we're okay. You know, I can figure this out or I can save myself. I don't need to be fixed. I can do this on my own. But the bad news of the gospel tells us that we can't hide from God. We can't run far enough away from him, right? Our sin, the very thing that has separated us from God, you and I cannot fix. And so we believe that God is a, 
a holy and a just God that has to do something about that sin, has to punish and judge that sin so that we have this, we can come into this right and real and true relationship with God, the one that we were meant to always have. That's the bad news of the gospel. But the good news of the gospel tells us that we have a God who time and time again has rescued us, rescued his people, and ultimately rescues us by coming to us himself in Jesus Christ. And Jesus does not flee, right? He faces the temptations and he lives the perfect life without sin and he becomes the perfect sacrifice so that he could go to the cross and take on our sin, punished in our place so that we could now be brought into that right relationship with God. But I think sometimes we forget how good the good news can be. It gets even better than that because Jesus doesn't stay dead. He rises from the dead and he then promises us new life, new life in which we can follow him and be united to him to face whatever problem or crisis the world offers to us. And so Jehoshaphat is standing on that kind of confidence, standing before God and before the people on this very promise and fact, this real reality that he has experienced in his life and seen in history that God has rescued before and he will deliver again. And so what does he do next? What do we do next? And here's where I think after we Um, stay put and we let God find us and after we remember what God has done in the past, here is where the gospel truly begins to do some deep and hard work in us. The next step is a hard one, to humble yourself. That's what I said. (laughs) To humble ourselves, that no matter what kind of crisis, whether it's a natural disaster crisis a health crisis or a crisis that we have brought on ourselves, at some point in those, you are going to face a point where you're going to have to humble yourself. And I think this takes shape in three different ways and you can see these on your outline. The first is that we have to, in crisis, recognize our circumstances. We have to look around and get real about what is happening. This is what Jehoshaphat does. He says, God, they're coming. They're about to destroy us. And in verse 11, it says this. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you have given to us as an inheritance. Verse 12, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do but our eyes are on you, recognizing the circumstance. And much like we're tempted to flee in a crisis, much like we're tempted to forget, another temptation often comes, and it's the temptation of denial, right? We want to deny what is happening around us, perhaps. We often hear this when someone is diagnosed with cancer or a terminal illness of some kind that what rises up quickly is just this denial, that this to deny, deny that this is happening. This can't be happening to me. It's gotta be wrong. The test result has to be wrong. How could this be my 
story. The news is so shocking that we just can't wrap our minds around it. Or maybe after fighting and fighting and fighting a battle against cancer, we have to finally recognize that maybe this battle is not going to be won. Maybe this illness is incurable. Or for some of us, with our kids perhaps, we confront a behavior or a tendency in our kids and we're tempted to deny, deny, deny that it's a real thing, right? I don't want to recognize it, I don't want to deal with it, right? And instead of recognizing that this is actually a thing, we don't confront it. But to recognize our circumstances is to actually humble ourselves in the midst of crisis. To realize, you know what? I can't fix this. God, it's too great for me. I can't fix it. You're going to have to do something. This is beyond me, but my eyes are on you, God. But secondly, if we're going to humble ourselves, we have to be realistic about our failure. And this is particularly in those cases where crisis may have been something that we've invited into our lives through bad choices or some difficult decisions that have gone wrong. And often we're going to have to recognize in the midst of that crisis that there's been some failure on our part and we're going to have to own that. We're going to have to admit that, confess that if we're going to find confidence to move through it. Or maybe we've been going through a crisis for some time and we're realizing that this way that we're going about it is not working. I've been trying this and trying this for years and years and years and it's not working. At some point, we're going to have to recognize and be realistic that maybe this isn't the way. Maybe I need to change and do something entirely different. And third, and finally, if we're going to humble ourselves as we live to find confidence in crisis, you and I are going to have to embrace our limitations. And boy, is this difficult, right? The aging process makes us fully aware of this, right? That things are changing, that our bodies are changing, And there's an embracing of that reality that has to come if we're going to live and find a new kind of confidence as we move forward in our life. But just as we have to be realistic about our failure, we have to embrace that we are very limited. And here, I think, is where the freeing thing, freedom, comes into this. And I hope some of you who may be in the midst of a life-changing type of crisis right now, I hope you'll hear this. Uh, Because in many crises... You are not meant to fix it. It's not meant to be fixed sometimes. What God is up to is what God is up to. And that is the real truth of it. And we are invited into life with him, to trust him, to follow him and believe that no matter what, we are united to him through Jesus. That we can walk through it even if it doesn't change, with confidence because he's with us. And so I hope you can hear that and see that we need to embrace our limitations, which is going to ask all of us to be humble, to admit that perhaps we're not in control. We're going to have to look out into our lives and say, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And finally this morning, the 
last step towards having confidence in crisis is this, to give thanks. To give thanks. In 2 Chronicles 20, God does rescue and he does deliver. A prophet comes to Jehoshaphat right before and says this. Look at verse 15 with me. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And then look what Jehoshaphat does in response to that great promise. Verse 21, he says, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. In the heat of that crisis, Jehoshaphat gives thanks and he tells the people to go out and sing before all of this happens and to be thankful for God's love. This is something that Rick Warren talked about in the 40 Days of Prayer in this section, if you remember, that we can, in the midst of the crisis, learn to give thanks to God in advance for how he will resolve the situation. What would it look like for us to give thanks in advance of however the crisis will result or end up? That is an entirely new way to go through these hard times of our lives. Because if we begin to do that, if we begin to actually live in a way that we're giving thanks for no matter what the outcome may be, but that we are in this with you, God, that I am here, you have found me, I am crying out, I have humbled myself, and now I am giving thanks to you. If we do that, then we begin to live gratefully And it's the power of the gospel that begins to instill in us a new kind of confidence that can walk through whatever crisis has found us. And as we close this morning, here's the added benefit, I think, of all of this. It's not just for you, personally, to get through your problem, whatever it may be, great or small. The added benefit is that as we talked about this through the 40 days of prayer, if we begin to go through crisis this way, with this kind of confidence, not in us, but in Christ, it impacts the people around us. The people around us who are watching you go through this begin to take notice. They take a step back and they wonder, what is going on with them that makes it so different? They are going through this, a divorce, whatever it may be, so differently, so I can't imagine, how do you walk through that? And yet the Christian can walk through the crises of our life in a way that impacts other people for the good. Just this last week, 
reading the text messages of people on the Southwest Plain, the text messages of Timothy Borman. If I was in a crisis like that, I began to wonder, would that be on my heart? Would that, those words be in my mouth? Would I be able to send that text message out to my loved ones that Jesus would always be with them? What he did in his crisis affected me, encouraged me, lifted me up this week with the hope that can you imagine being able to trust Jesus in the most difficult of circumstances? And when you and I walk with that kind of confidence in crisis, the people around us begin to take notice. It changes our lives and it changes the people around us. And so, as we close this morning, I want you to consider two things. And I don't know what crisis may be present in your life right now, but I want to ask you to consider doing two things. The first is to tell someone, to tell someone here in your church family, to make sure that other people who are going to kind of say the same things that I've said this morning will continue to say that to you no matter what you may be going through. And the second thing is to truly let God find you and cry out. Pray. Say to God, God, I do not know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And what we have on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus is not even what Jehoshaphat had that we can see what Jesus has done for us. His death for our sin, his resurrection for our new life, that now we are united to him. He is always with us, no matter where we find ourselves. That is the power of the gospel. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks that no matter what we may be facing, you, you find us. And as the psalmist said, sometimes it is when we are clinging to the ground. Lord, sometimes that's actually what's happening. Other times it's a metaphor for what's happening in our lives. But God, I pray that through your spirit you would come close to all of us. And that you would show us that, Lord, these things that take place in our life, Lord, they are invitations they're invitations to feel more and more that we are united to you. That you have rescued and saved us. Lord, not to promise that our life would be easy in any way, but to promise us that no matter what we face, we are united to you. God, may we live with that kind of confidence that not only transforms the way we face crisis, but can actually encourage and be a witness to those around us who would look upon our lives and wonder what it means to believe that all of this is true. God, would you do that in us today? Would you move us forward to live confidently knowing that you are always with us? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.